Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis 45. We're continuing, of course, our study of, and we're saying that this is the study of the life of Joseph, the last part of the book of Genesis. This evening is a special time because Joseph, and we saw it last time. It's been several weeks ago since we actually were in the passage. But Joseph, uh, last time, has revealed himself to his brothers. He'd been separated them for over 20 years. By God's grace, he's been raised up to be a ruler in Egypt. His brothers have come to Egypt because of the famine. If you remember, they didn't recognize Joseph. They don't know who he is. He's been testing them all this time to see what they're like. And, and uh, when he makes himself known to his brothers, it's, it's time, really, it's a time of fear because they don't know what Joseph's going to do because they realize, wait a minute, this is the, he knows we sent him off into slavery. But it's also possibly a time of joy because he loves them and, and soon the father, Jacob, will be there. So there's a lot of great things. As we see this passage, we see how Joseph responds to his brothers. It's pretty powerful. They had sold him, or he had sold them, uh, they had sold him into slavery those 20 years before. What will he do? Well, he could do two things. He could say, you sold me. I'm in control and I'm going to get vengeance. I'm going to get you vengeance. That's what I'm going to do. Or he could say, you sold me and I forgive you. Because God is the one working and he is the one in control. Well, this evening we're going to see how Joseph responds to his brothers. And from this passage, there are a number of things that we look at. Look, first of all, we see, we go to the next slide, please. And we see God's providence, that he's working. That's the basis for forgiveness. We see God's preservation. His plan is to save the nation of Israel. That's really why he brings them down to Egypt and even leaves them there is to save them. And then the third thing is God's blessing on Joseph and Jacob and the brothers. It's beyond what they could imagine. And that's one of the things that we find always is that God's blessings is always beyond what we could imagine. So we see Joseph and his forgiveness and Jacob, his blessings, and even some worship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to chapter 46. We're just going to look at the first verse of that as we finish tonight. Let's begin with a prayer, and then let's get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for our Savior Jesus. Thank you for the eternal life that we have simply by faith. Lord, we thank you for the book of Genesis, the life of Joseph. We see now, Lord, this whole idea of forgiveness. And Joseph is in control here, and, and his brothers sold him into slavery. But we see that Joseph recognizes the sovereignty of God and how God is working all these things. And so... He recognizes that God is the one that put him in that position. And so thank you, Lord, for that. And as we see the whole idea of forgiveness, we can learn some great things there. Lord, I thank you for the privilege tonight to come together with fellow believers to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. Teach us now from the book of Genesis. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was at Dallas Seminary, there was a story that, that was a true story, but it was about one of the students so about... Oh, four or five years before I ever went to Dallas Seminary, he uh, he wanted to make an impact. He was one of, the, one of the Dallas Seminary students. So he went to uh, sort of one of the tougher sections of town. He thought he would witness to some people there. And he sort of got on a street corner, and four guys jumped on him and beat him up. And the police caught him right in the act of it. And so they arrested him. And when they came to the hearing, the men were brought before the court. And the seminary student went there, and he stood before the judge. And the judge said, what are we going to do with these men? And so the seminary student said this. He said, uh, I would like to pay their fine for them. I would like to forgive them. And he turned to those guys and said, you guys did wrong, you sinned, but uh, I'm going to pay the penalty for you. And the same thing, Jesus Christ came and died for each of you, paid for your sins, and if you will believe in him, you'll have eternal life. I forgive you, and you can have forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Wow, that was pretty powerful. Let me ask you a question. How do we respond when somebody does us wrong? Is it anger, revenge, or forgiveness? When we're mistreated naturally, we want vengeance. But we need to live supernatural lives, which is forgiveness. Joseph has revealed himself to his brothers. They did him wrong. They sold him into slavery. What is Joseph's response? Is it going to be vengeance? 
of forgiveness. Well, we saw last time that he looked at life from the view that God is sovereignly working all things and that God is in control even in the bad things. And so he says several things like, you did this, but God did this. Even later at the very end of the book of Genesis when the guys were afraid after Jacob had died and they were afraid that Joseph would get them back then, uh, Joseph said to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that's how we look at things. And as we see this, Joseph bases his forgiveness on the sovereignty of God. And we'll see all that. Let's remember where we are. Joseph has... Uh, Brought his brothers in one final time. You know, they've come there a couple of times. He's tested them the whole time. They don't know it's Joseph. He knows who they are. He brings them in. He feeds them a meal, sends them back out. He takes his silver cup, which is very expensive, puts it in, Joseph, in Benjamin, his, his brother's bag, and then they send him out. Benjamin doesn't know about it. They go and accuse him of stealing, and then they open up the bags, and Benjamin has the cup. And so they said, Benjamin, you stole the cup. And so Joseph, they don't know it's Joseph, but he says, okay, here's what I'll let you do. I will take this one. This son, this brother of yours, and he can be my slave. The rest of you can go free. He tested them to see what would they do. And of course, Judah came up and said, no, no, i tell you what, let me, let me take his place. I'll take his place. He offered himself for Benjamin. And when that happened, Joseph realized that these brothers were not angry. They were not doing how they had done to him all those years ago. And he could control himself no longer, and he wants himself. He wants to make himself known. Now, let me show you the outline. Let's just break down the passage just quickly tonight. We're going to see Joseph reveals himself, and that's verses 1 through 15, this forgiveness based on God's sovereignty. And then Pharaoh has a plan when he finds out that this is Joseph's brothers. And so he says, bring the family to Egypt, and we see those verses. And then Jacob's respond. And the reason I put verse 40, uh, chapter 46, verse 1 in there, because we see that Jacob is amazed, but he also worships. And I want you to just see that one little part there. And as we get into next week, we get into chapter 46, we'll see some great things there. Well, let's see what happens. Let's begin. How does Joseph respond when he realizes his brothers have passed the final test? Look what he does, chapter 45, verse 1. When Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Now, remember, Joseph is a powerful man. He's number two behind Pharaoh. He's the most powerful man in Egypt other than the, the, the king, the Pharaoh. And he doesn't want to see, he doesn't want these his servants, so to speak, to see him break down. He doesn't want them to see that way. So he sends them all out before he makes himself known to his brothers. He, he, he knows there's going to be great emotion here, and he wants to do that. He doesn't want us, them to see that. So look what he did. He wept loudly, and the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. So when he began to weep and to, to, to the great joy and emotions, even it, it got all the way back and began to pass through, and people were saying, what is going on? What's happening there? And it got out. And then look at verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. And look at this question. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Now, Joseph is really concerned because he wants to make sure his dad's still alive. Jacob is a very old man by now, and he says, I'm Joseph, I'm Joseph. By the way, is dad still alive? He doesn't know because remember the last time he sent them off, and it's been a while, and they come back, and he fed them, but he didn't ask them a whole bunch of questions. Didn't ask them anything. And so, but his brothers, now I love this because his brothers were dismayed at his presence. Now, uh, how could they know it was Joseph? Well, he's already done things that, that, that they probably wondered about. You remember when they had the meal? And they all sat there and they looked around and they realized that they were seated at the table in the order from the youngest to the oldest. And they thought, how in the world could this man know this? 
and they realize that he's very powerful. And they're dismayed because they know that Joseph, if it really is Joseph, he's got all this power. And notice it's really, they realize it's both good and bad. They got their brother, that's good, but how will they tell their dad? How will they tell him that he's still alive? What will Joseph do to them? Because they sold him into slavery. So it's a very powerful point there. So what's going to happen? Notice what he says. Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. You can see him going, come here, come here, come here, go on. Okay, okay, who is this man? What does he say? And Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, who you sold into slavery. Listen, there's no way, except it being him, that he would be able to tell that to them. I mean, they realize this is Joseph. He says, I am the one. He wants them to realize it's him. And we can see clearly, we're going to see forgiveness. And it's based on the sovereignty of God. Notice what he says. And I love verse 5. Now he said, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Why? For God sent me before you to preserve life. He says, don't be all upset because I'm going to forgive you. Remember... You, you sold me here, but it's God who actually sent me here. It's a dual thing. Notice, it's their action. He says, your actions were, you sold me. Now, by the way, just because the sovereignty of God is working all of this, and Joseph is saying God's behind it all, that doesn't let them off the hook on their actions, on what they've done. God does work all things according to the counsel of His will. But every person is responsible for the decisions, the actions, and the things that they do. He says, you did this. You, he says, you sold me here. He's not saying, you didn't really do it. He said, no, you did it. But God sent me before you to preserve life. It was their action, you sold me, but it's God's action because it's really God who sent me here. Joseph was certain that it was God's will that he was there and that he was controlling every event. And forgiveness, and, and, and I love this part right here. It says, you did it, but God was working. You did it, but God was working. We'll really understand forgiveness when we understand the sovereignty of God. Because we say, that person did me wrong, and, and we realize they did wrong and they're responsible for their actions. And yet all, all actions, everything fits in God's plan for your life. And He's not going to allow anything to come into your life unless it fits through His filter and what He's allowing to happen. Matthew Henry said this. He says, realize that every experience in life, both pleasant and painful, has been allowed by God to fulfill His purpose. Romans 8:28. we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Those that love God, those that are called according to His purpose. God works all things. When we see life and events from God's perspective, we're going to be able to forgive others. We're going to be able to say, God is working in all of these things. When people do us wrong, we don't have to say, that's a rip. That's ridiculous. This is, this is a bad chance thing. No, there's no such thing as that. We can say, that's not a good thing that they've done. But God is working in all events. Joseph said, you sent me down here. You sold me. But look what God did. God sent me. This is the end of verse 5. To preserve, before you, to preserve life. Whose life is he preserving? Who? Well, he's preserving a lot of people's lives, and we know that. But particularly who? The, the, the family. The, the family, Joseph and Jacob and, and the brothers and, and all this. Because who's coming through that family? The Messiah, Jesus Christ. If the family all dies off, there's no Messiah. So he says, God sent me here to preserve life. Now he gives some details. For the famine has been in the land for two years, and there are still seven years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. You remember there was the seven-year famine, seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine. And he says, yeah, he's still got five years to go. 
And then he says it again. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. It is so important to keep this family alive. When you think about it, there was Abraham who got the promise. And Abraham went, the promise was passed down to Isaac. And then Isaac and the promise was passed down to Jacob. And Jacob, of course, had the 12 sons. And these are the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes of of Jacob became the 12 tribes of Israel. And it becomes the, the people group, which we call the Jewish people. They go into Egypt with about 75 people. They come out 400 years later with over 2 million people. They go in as a family. They come out as a nation. God is saying, I'm using this to preserve. He says, to preserve you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. You realize this, that God took the family of Jacob, which is the nation of Israel, and took them down into Egypt to preserve them, to save them, and then they will come out of Egypt later on. He does the same thing about 2,000 years later, a little bit less than 2,000 years. He's going to take his son, Jesus Christ, and when Herod wants to kill all the boy babies two years old and under, God tells them to take him to Egypt. And Joseph and Mary go down to Egypt. They stay there for two years. God uses Egypt to preserve his son. And then, after that, brings him back out. It is a great foreshadow and a picture. Did you know in Hosea 11:1 it says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When that is the original interpretation, which you see in Hosea 11:1, his son is the nation of Egypt. Come, I mean, the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. But it's also a foreshadow of Jesus Christ coming out of Egypt. It's amazing what we see there. Notice again in verse 8. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all this household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Once again, he says, it's not you, but God. Once again, we see the sovereignty and the plan of God. And um, now when he says, it's not you, he still that's not meaning that there's no accountability or responsibility for people's actions. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying, behind all of this, even using your actions, God does this. And notice he says, God has made me, uh, he says, God, is, uh, God has made me a father to Pharaoh. Well, that's a strange word, but the word there literally means an advisor. It means a ruler. He's made him an advisor to Pharaoh. In fact, we know that. And the, the sovereignty of God, he's working in all the events. Now watch what he does. He says, hurry up and go to my father, verse 9. Say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. He says, go back. Get, go back home. Tell dad I'm here and that I'm, I'm a ruler in Egypt. And, and that I want you to come back as fast as you can. You'll get to live in the land of Goshen. By the way, the land of Goshen was one of the best parts of the land of Egypt. And he says, you'll live there, and your children, and your grandchildren, and your flocks, and yours. Everybody's coming back here. This is going to be the greatest. We're going to be united. You remember Jacob was so sad because Joseph, Joseph was his favorite son. Benjamin his second favorite son. He shows favoritism. We know it. Jacob, Jacob didn't do things right. He showed favoritism over his family. Those sons knew that if, if Jacob had the choice, he would let all of them die and Jacob and Benjamin stay alive. He would. They knew that. But they've gotten over it, and they've been able to, to do pretty good about it. And so he says, go back and tell Dad that you're going to come here, and you're going to get to live in the land, and your children and your grandchildren, everything's going to be great. And then notice, 
There I will also provide for you, for there's still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you would uh, and all that you have would be impoverished. He said, if you stay there, you could all die off. Now you remember that we talked about there were two reasons why God brought the brought the Jewish people out of the land of Canaan, Canaan and put them into Egypt. Number one was the famine, to preserve their lives so they wouldn't starve to death. Number two was to remove them from the Canaanites because we saw back chapters ago that the Jewish people, the family of Jacob, were beginning to be like the Canaanites. They were beginning to believe some of the things. They they were beginning to intermarry with them. They were doing some of the things they weren't supposed to do. So God actually uses this famine to not only, in putting Joseph in a place of responsibility, to remove them out of the land of Canaan for a while until the iniquity of the Amorites rights is full and then God's going to bring his people back and they're going to take over the land and removed those enemies and those people from that land so one is to remove them from the land of Canaan to protect them from those people there and number two was to get them in Egypt and protect them during the famine so two things that we see there he says uh, verse 11 again I will provide for you and there's still five years of famine to come you and your household and all that you have would have been impoverished then he says behold your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that is my mouth which is speaking to you. You can tell it's me. I'm really, jo- I'm really Joseph. Now, you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen. And you must hurry and bring my father down here. He says, you've got to go back and tell dad that, that I'm in a big place of responsibility down here. Because he could say, I'm not leaving the land. He could say... I'm not leaving the land because God told me this is the land from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. This is our land, and I'm not supposed to leave. We're going to see next week that as Jacob leaves, anybody know what happens? God does. God appears and says, don't be afraid to leave the land. He says, I'm working all this. Go ahead and leave. I'll bring you back. So it's an amazing story because he says, tell him, tell him what position I have. Tell him of my splendor here. Go get my father and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Tell my father you got to do that. And now watch what happens. I love this. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept on his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept on them and afterwards his brothers talked with him. See, they've been afraid to what? Talk to him. They're scared of him. They don't know what he's going to do. They don't know if it's for real. They, they don't know if he's just acting like he's forgiven them and they release their guard and he may kill them all. Who knows? But they, they begin to realize that this is for real. And we see what happens. So they fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept uh, and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck and he kissed all his brothers and then they all talked. And, uh, you know, his brothers realized that he's not going to get them back, that he forgives them. And, you know, when we understand... The sovereignty of God, we can forgive when we realize that all things work together for good, that God is working all things. We can realize in Ephesians that He works all things according to the counsel of His will. We realize in Philippians that when He completes whatever He starts, He's working all these things out. We can see all of these things that God is working. If we are mistreated, we forgive because God's in control. We see the providence and the sovereignty of God. We see the preservation as He is keeping the nation alive. Realize this, that when something happens to us like this, Something bad happens to you. You have two responses. It can be vengeance or forgiveness. Now, one thing we have to remember. So we say the supernatural life is not vengeance but forgiveness. But you could say this. You could say, but it's not fair. If somebody does you wrong, it's not fair 
if you just say, okay, well, okay, we forgive you, just go on your own way, they're getting away with it. They're not getting away with it. Because vengeance belongs to who? The Lord, not to us. Paul writes in Romans, he says, Never return evil with evil. Return evil with good. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. When somebody does you wrong, it's not your responsibility to get them back. It's your responsibility to forgive them. God is the one that will deal with all things. He will right all wrongs. He does all of that. Well, look what happens. Now, when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. It was really good news. Pharaoh said, Joseph's brothers have come. Remember, Joseph was number two. Pharaoh completely trusted Joseph. God had raised Joseph up. He had revealed the answers to those dreams. He has saved the nation, so to speak. They have food. Egypt has food. Nobody else has food. And so Pharaoh knows that Joseph is unique and special and has been raised up by God. And so when he finds out Joseph's families, his brothers there, he says, that's good, that's good. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, verse 17, say to your brothers, do this, load your beast and go to the land of Canaan. Go back home and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Well, this is pretty powerful. The most powerful man in the world. See, Joseph's not the most powerful man in the world. He probably really is. But Pharaoh thinks he is. Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, basically. And he says to Joseph, you tell your brothers to get on their camels and get on back there and get their family and come on up here and I'm going to take care of everything. Wow. I mean, watch this. Verse 19, now you are ordered, this is an order, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come, do not be concerned yourself with the goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. He says, listen, I want you to take wagons, I don't even want your families walking all that way, I'm going to take wagons so they can all get in wagons and they can ride all the way. I've got this for them, this is, I'm going to take care of them. The blessings, he says. Egypt will provide. Then in our life, we don't say, thank you, thank you, thank you, Egypt will provide. We say what? The Lord will provide because he'll take care of everything. God's blessing is always beyond what we could imagine. God's blessing is beyond what they thought. When these brothers went there, what they actually thought is they're going to get a little bit more grain to take back home and they can eat and then hopefully the famine will be over. But if not, they'll go back and maybe they can get some more grain and go back. What's going to happen is they found their brother and he's number two on the list and he's telling them to go get everybody and come back and you're going to live in Egypt and you're going to live like kings. Oh, this is unbelievable. This is how God works in our lives. We look and we say, oh, Lord, I hope this happens. And then when it all is over with, you look back and you go, wow, that's better than I ever thought it was going to be. God always does beyond, exceedingly, beyondly, beyond what we could ask and imagine. Think about the blessings going to be on Jacob. Here's what he said last time. You remember? I've lost Joseph. I've lost Simeon. I'm going to lose Benjamin. I can't stand this. Remember when they came back the time and that Joseph, he thinks, is dead and Simeon's been left and now he's supposed to take Benjamin back and, and Jacob says, I'm, I'm, I just can't handle this. I've lost everything. But God is going to do beyond what he could imagine. And that's what God does for us. Beyond what you can imagine. Look at verse 21. So then the sons of Israel did so. 
And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but what, look. But to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver. You can see the rest of them going, we didn't get any silver. Did you get any silver? I didn't get any silver. He got 300 pieces of silver. How come we didn't get any silver? And five changes of clothes. Five changes of clothes. We got nothing. Why did he do that? Why do you think he did that? You think he's still testing them a little bit? Because remember, they mistreated him because he was the favorite son. He knows Benjamin's been the favorite son ever since he's been gone. He wanted to see how they treated Benjamin. And so far, they've passed all the tests. He's still testing them. To his father, he sent the fo- at what follows. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and substance for his father on the journey. I mean, they are loading everything up. Going to take care of them. Notice verse 24. I love this. So he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the journey. (laughs) Y'all don't fuss now. I don't fuss. Everything is better than it's better than you imagined. You just get on back there, get daddy, and come back. Everything's going to be fine. Wow. I'd like to see as they're on the way back how they're going to figure out how to explain to their father that Joseph's still alive and how they're going to explain to their father that all these years they lied to him because it's now known, it's going to be known that he's, they sold Joseph into slavery. How are you going to deal with that one? Well, notice. So he sent his brothers, this is verse 24 again, so he sent his brothers away and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the journey. When they came up from Egypt, they came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. Now, it doesn't really go into the details of what they might have said, but notice this. They told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is ruler all over all the land of Egypt. But he was stunned, for he didn't believe them. Well, they got back, and they didn't probably say to him, Oh, Dad, we've been lying for 20 years. We uh, actually sold him into slavery, but, but God was really working all that, and he's raised him up to number two. That's not what they said. Notice what they said. Joseph is still alive because what was the last word? When they came back and they brought that coat of many colors and they brought it back to Jacob and they threw it down and they said, Is this your son's coat? They didn't say, Is this our brother's coat? They said, Is this your son's coat? And, and they just they wanted their dad to assume that an animal had eaten him up. So when they come back, they go, Well, we thought an animal had eaten him up, but he's still alive. I figure, I guess what they figure is that Jacob will be so happy to get there and everything that he won't care that they sold him into slavery. That's what they're hoping. So they said, they said, Joseph's still alive and indeed he's ruler. Look at this. Ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now let me ask you something. What are the chances of about a 17 or 18 year old Jewish boy disappearing and 20 to 20-something years later uh, is, is ruling over the land of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. What are the chances of that? It's true. Look what Jacob does. Jacob was stunned that he did not believe them. He said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. When they told him all the words of Joseph, they said, here's what Joseph said, and all that he had spoken to them. And when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. I mean, he began to look around and go, well, 
I mean, there's got to be something to this. Look, where did all these wagons come from? These are Egyptian wagons. I mean, these aren't our wagons. Where did all this come from? Where did all those 20 camels come from? What all loaded up with all this stuff? He said, this, this must be true. Have you ever won something or had something big happen and, and you go, no, 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 this, this is not true. And he says, yes, it's true. You won. You won. No, I didn't. You, yes, you did. I did. And you get all excited. You realize this is really true. I think this is what's happened to Jacob. And he goes, this is really true. Now, I love this because look at the contrast between verse 27 and 28. Because in 27, it's been 26 and 27, they've been calling him Jacob, 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 Jacob. But look at, look at the very end of 27. The spirit of their father Jacob revived. Then Israel said. You remember Israel is another name. Israel, the name Jacob means deceiver and the name Israel means prince of God. And so we're seeing because he's really Israel. He's really Israel. He's a changed man. Most of Jacob's life he was the deceiver and now he's Israel. He's the, the prince of God. He's, he's the one that's going to go down into Egypt with a family and they're going to come out as the great nation. Boy, so powerful. He says, then Israel said... It's enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and I will see him before I die. It's enough. It's true. Think about the blessing. I want you to think about this. Look, Joseph, he thought Joseph was dead. Now Joseph is alive. All of his sons were safe. Remember, he was so worried he was going to lose more of his sons. All of them are safe. He Now he's going to see Joseph after all these years. And instead of them sitting there about to starve to death, they're going to have provision during the famine. And the entire family is going to be together. And they're going to live in the best land in Egypt. How much better could this get? You remember one time he said, everything's bad. I lost one brother, a son. I lost another son. I ain't got this. I've lost this one. Everything's against me. Remember that's what he said? Everything's against me. Now he could say, everything is for me. I got it all. God's blessings are always better than we can imagine. Let me ask you something. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, what does he give you? Eternal life. Can you comprehend eternal life? You realize that eternal life is going to be better than you can imagine it? That's just going to be a lot better. And we read, read uh, over in Revelation 20, 21 and 22, the chapters, and he begins to describe the holy city Jerusalem as it comes down. And the description there, basically, we, we're trying to figure out what the gates are and the walls of the hill. And yet, when we get there, you know what? It's going to be better than we can even imagine. And in our lives, when we look back and we think about going through life and, and we stop and we go, you know, this is a lot better than I ever imagined it. A lot better. God's blessings are that way. We see in this passage the providence of God. That's the basis for forgiveness. The preservation of God. The nation will be saved and delivered. And the blessings of God. The blessing of God which is beyond what they could even believe. Joseph's forgiveness. Jacob's response. Watch this. Look at chapter 46. Look at verse 1. So Israel set out with all that he had. And he came to Beersheba. Beersheba is the southernmost part of the land. Dan is the northern part. You've already, sometimes you'll read it and it'll say, From Dan to Beersheba. Dan's the northernmost part. Beersheba is the southernmost part. They get, when they stop in Beersheba and they're about to leave the promised land, Canaan, here's what he does. He offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. He's going to worship he offers sacrifices to God. He's going to worship. Go ahead to the next slide, I think. Worship is our response to God, who He is and what He has done. 
That's what we should do. Every day we should say, Lord, you are the greatest. You did this. You did this. You always do this. I, I love you. When we sing these songs and we lift up our voices in praise and when we give as an act of worship and as we study and make application as an act of worship, what we're doing is responding to God, to who he is and what he has done. That's really what worship is, responding to God, who he is and what he's done. He has given us eternal life. He has kept us secure and keeps us secure. He has the power for us to live. He gives us the future rewards and the inheritance and all of those things. How do we respond to God working all things? He's in control. We forgive when things happen. He provides, protects. Give Him the glory and the blessing. Jacob's worship saying, um, look at verse 2. We'll just stop right there. God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And we're going to stop there. God is going to reassure him it's okay to leave the land. And we're going to see it. Oh, it's powerful. It's some great stuff. What have we seen? Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. He forgives them based on the sovereignty of God. He says, you sent me, but God had a plan. The forgiveness always starts with understanding God's sovereignty. He says, go get Jacob and bring him back. Jacob can't believe it. It's such good news. And as he gets ready to leave, he's going he's to offer sacrifices to God as an act of worship. Let me give you some applications. First one, let's understand the character of God. And that's, of course, that's kind of a, 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 something that can't, it's not even possible to totally understand the character of God. But what we mean is look at him as the sovereign one who controls and works all things. And how do we respond to his character? Well, number one, A, let's forgive one another because he is the sovereign one we forgive one another as God forgives us be kind tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us that's what we do we forgive our own forgiveness comes by Jesus Christ and we forgive to enjoy the future we must accept God's past forgiveness for us and uh, it's so powerful I remember um, Charles Ryrie I quote from Charles Ryrie by the way at the conference I went to um, uh, Monday Tuesday and Wednesday Tuesday night Dr. Ryrie spoke and I, I got to talk to him for a second, and uh, uh, he's—I think he's 90, he's 94 or 95—and he's really, really thin. But he still—he stills teaching just like he always has, and uh, he's amazing. Uh, there was a joke that he made. It wasn't wasn't the other night, but he, he, people ask him, you know, how are you feeling? And he says, uh, "Well, I don't buy green bananas." You know, that's what he says. Because I don't know how long I'm going to last, but he always says that. Anyway, Dr. Ryrie said this. He said, one of us, most of us operate on the principle that the person in the wrong should take the first step. But in Matthew 5 shows us that we show forgiveness when we take the first step, when somebody has done us wrong. I have to tell you this story. Ironside was a, uh, was a preacher in, around the turn of the other century. And he said this. He told the story of a missionary celebrating the Lord's Supper with a group of believing tribesmen in New Guinea. Papua New Guinea, this is where Kurt had gone. One of the men, while they were sitting around having the Lord's Supper there, one of the men seemed to be under great stress. And so the missionary leaned over and said, What's bothering you? And he said, Well, the man who just came in and sat down, he is the one who killed my father and ate him. At first I didn't know if I could endure this, but I realized that this man has trusted Christ as I have, so I must forgive him just as Christ has forgiven me. It's not easy to forgive the one who ate your father, right? I mean, let's think about it. Yeah? But that's what happened. The basis for forgiveness comes as we understand the sovereignty of God. 
Alan Ross, who was was a Hebrew professor at Dallas when I was there, he said we must realize that God is working in our lives. There's no need to retaliate. God is the one who enables us to forgive. I have to tell you a story. I coasted Mississippi State from 1973 to 1980. And in 1979, a, a man came to be an assistant coach. He had been a coach at Virginia Tech. And he had some real problems there. In fact, I'm just going to tell you the truth. One of his football players died. And there was a big sort of scandal about it because it was during a practice. And they ran him and ran him and ran him. And one of them died. And so he actually lost his job. He had been the head coach at Virginia Tech. And so he came to Mississippi State. And Coach Tyler, who was the head coach, knew him. And I think hired him because he had lost his job. And Coach Tyler said he's a good man or thought he was a good man. Anyway, when he got there, he wasn't a good man to me because what happened is I didn't know... I didn't know his standing. At that time, I was pretty fired up as a Christian, and all the, all the other coaches on our staff, we had 18 coaches in those days, and all of them were Christians. So the new guy came, and uh, I was sitting at uh, the training table. We were all eating together, and he sat down beside me, and we started talking. And, of course, I looked at him, and I said, let me ask you a question. You know, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? You know, because something came up about, he said to me, said, he said, I heard you're sort of religious. And I said, well, I'm not religious, because religion is man trying to please God. I said, uh, I'm a Christian. I've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. So I started talking to him, and he was really offended that I talked to him. And from that day forward, he made my life miserable. He did everything he could to get me fired. He did. He did. It was miserable. That was, uh, that was about August of 1979, and that whole football season, I hate to tell you all this, but it was one of the worst of my life. And uh, he would go to Coach Tyler and say, J.B. didn't do this, didn't do this. In fact, Coach Tyler brought me in one time and said, uh, I'm believing this guy. And I said, Coach, you know me. I'd known Coach Tyler since I was 17. And... I, th- I really thought I was going to lose my job, and it was really horrible. And I was really upset with this guy because uh, he was making up things about me. It all worked out. Uh, Coach Tyler later resigned as athletic director and head coach. When Coach Tyler resigned, I eventually resigned because I, I had- God had already changed my desires. In fact, let me tell you the truth. If my last year, that was my last year of coaching, if it had been a great year, I may have never resigned and gone to seminary. But it was a bad year. It was a horrible time. We had a good football season, but it was just a horrible time for me personally. And it, God used that to prepare me to say, listen, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm, I want to do something else anyway. It just got me to that edge. And so I look at it and I say, you meant it for bad. That guy meant it for bad. God used it for good. So, and, and I, you know, I've forgiven it. In fact, I heard that some years later that the guy trusted Christ as his Savior. So that's what I hope and pray. And I, I don't have any bad feelings toward this guy. In fact, the truth is I realized that God allowed that to happen to get me to the point where I would resign and go on to seminary. It was, oh, it worked out great. It was not a great time, but it worked out great. Second thing is let's, let's trust him. He provides and protects. Think what he's going to do for the nation of Israel. He's going to provide and protect. And so what do we do? Let's respond to God in worship and praise because everything that he does is, is beyond what we could ask and imagine. We worship him as we see him, who he is and what he has done. Uh, a couple of things about praise and worship. Daily, we respond with prayer and praise and an obedient lifestyle. And then corporately, we come together and worship and singing and praying and giving and studying and applying the word of God. All of those things are acts of worship. And so we should worship him every day. We should worship him corporately. At least weekly, at least weekly, you know, it, it's a, it's sad when you don't get to gather together with other believers and worship. So let's worship and praise him. May we understand our sovereign God. May we respond in praise and worship.
trusting Him to provide and protect, forgiving others because of His sovereign plan. Let's pray. If you've got any questions or comments, we'll deal with them. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you so much for this passage. Lord, thank you for the excitement we see as Jacob is about to go down to Egypt to see his son Joseph after all these years. Lord, we know how exciting that would be for him. We think about all of this and how Jacob, or Joseph was willing to forgive his brothers realizing that they did it but God was working. And Lord, in our lives sometimes we realize that people do things and they do things that are wrong but Lord, we know that you're allowing those things to be in our lives and we can trust you lord thank you for who you are and what you've done we respond to you in worship and we love you thank you lord for the privilege of being your children simply by faith in christ use us for your glory we ask this in jesus name amen